Hello, and welcome to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Let's unpack the relationships that we encounter in our daily lives and learn about what makes them tick. And now your host for Red Rock Relationships, Dr. James B. Stein. Well, 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 we are back after a substantial hiatus. Uh, in truth, we were supposed to have an episode a couple weeks ago in between our last episode and this episode, but you know, sometimes stuff gets in the way. So today we are doing double duty. Uh, we got two episodes back to back, super excited about it. And the first one that we're doing is actually going to build off of the last episode that we did with our next guest. So more on that later, but first, you know, we got we to talk about the topic of the hour. Um, today, we will be expanding our knowledge about the role that culture plays in relationship formation. And to help me do that, I have brought back yet another Arizona State professor, <laughs> Dr. Sarah Amira, Amira de la Garza. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Oh, my pleasure to be here. Thanks. Yeah, uh, certainly the pleasure is ours. So we're going to definitely get into uh, how uh, cultural membership and co-cultural membership can uh, alter the ways in which we uh, engage in and maintain our existing close relationships. But before we do that, whenever we have a new guest, we've got to hear a little bit about that guest. So uh, if you wouldn't mind just giving us the maybe the elevator talk about like who you are, what your scholastic lineage is and um, what you study now. Well, I'm, I'm an uh, associate professor and Southwest Borderlands scholar at Arizona State University. Uh, and what I work in is a combination of performance studies and the study of culture and uh, creative methodology. So my, my way of, of looking at communication is to attempt to, uh, to find ways that scholarship can be done through research and then can be presented for the general public in artistic and performative, creative uh, ways that, that can reach people who perhaps aren't, aren't academics. Um, and, and I'm really interested uh, in my own work in the, the kinds of things that prevent people from speaking speaking their heart, speaking their mind, even when they feel real conviction. And I think I think that's connected to my early my early work was uh, many, many years ago was just looking at at uh, at why patients uh, wouldn't tell doctors what they needed to tell them about their health because they they were afraid to offend the doctor or, or something. And it's just always fascinated me how how people can know so well what they think and feel. But when the opportunity to speak up comes up, they often are silent. Yeah, you have unintentionally previewed an episode from our next season in the fall of 2022. We're going to be talking about uh, patient-provider relations with a, a faculty member here at my university, actually. Um, but that is a fascinating area of research, and perhaps even more fascinating than that is the effort and focus that you've placed on um, delineating this information to groups that would, as you said, otherwise not be able to access it. That's part of what this podcast is all about. So um, hopefully you'll find a good home here. Are you ready to get into it and talk a little bit about uh, some of the more detailed elements of culture in relationships? Absolutely. Awesome. So we actually had, um, way back in season one, uh, 
Dr. Tara Sunya Tichaiporn came on and talked about the very most basics of intercultural relationships. We talked about things like self-constrols and how our own control can interact with society and how this helps um, uh, modulate the ways in which we uh, form and maintain relationships. And like I said, she'll be on after this episode, but um, that was really the only, I mean, we really only got to scratch the surface there. So my first question to you is, uh, what other ways can cultures uh, distinguish themselves or vary, or in what other ways do cultures tend to emerge through human communication? Well, I, I often tell people that culture is the uh, is a systematic way that we continue to make meaning and to main, and to maintain meaning. So basically, through the way we talk and the way we act, we uh, demonstrate what we think is happening and what we think things mean, and we also try to maintain the way that we frame things, which is what makes it so hard when people from different cultures come together, because this impulse to to maintain our view of the world uh, basically comes head to head with perhaps another way of looking at the world, and and. Uh, and it, it is connected to how we view ourselves, how we view our friends, how we view our work. So when you begin to alter some of these elements, uh, it, you could have kind of like a little domino effect and multiple aspects of your life can begin to change. And so I think that, uh, you know, in, from a tribal perspective, it, it's, a, it's a really good thing that people were so protective. But now that we live in such a transcultural global society, uh, the idea of having so much defensiveness around keeping only one way of looking at the world is really not very effective or efficient. So I think it, it's it's useful to to know about the ways that culture varies, so that uh, so that when you encounter the differences, you're not completely caught off guard. Uh, uh, one of those things could be like uh, they they talk about. I think you you said you've mentioned uh, individualism and collectivism in the past, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so that some people are, are focused on themselves or individuals and others are focused on what the group is doing uh, and a group identity. Well, another way that cultures vary is through formality. And they used to call this uh, power distance. Mm-hmm. And basically it means that in some cultures, there's a heavy emphasis put on on uh giving a lot of distance and reverence and respect to people with status or position, tradition. Uh, and and then in other cultures, that's not as important. So in the United States, in general, we tend to not be a high power distance uh, culture where we, we'd like to think that we're all equal. However, if you go to a formal dinner, uh, immediately you find that there are contexts where uh, where we wait and we want to know what that person is going to say and you try not to speak when they're speaking because they're the most important. That's power distance. But you can go into other societies where uh, that high power distance is in every setting and an American very often will uh, disrupt norms because we treat everybody as if they're our pal and and they're not accustomed to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what? It, it, speaking of dinner and food, because it's something that I, it, food is one of my most cathartic things. I think about slurping and how 
<laughs> I I was fortunate enough to grow up with a best friend who is Vietnamese, and when I would eat at his house, slurping was encouraged. Right? In, for many cultures, it's a sign that you're enjoying the food. If you do that at a fancy restaurant here in the states, you might get some weird looks. But if you don't do that at a fancy restaurant in some other countries, you might get some weird looks. And so I, I think that's one really interesting um, way in which those subtle little behaviors um, vary so dramatically uh, based on mm -hmm. culture. Now. Speaking of the ways in which our uh, various definitions can be changed, when we think about relationships, the word relationships here in the States, when I teach my class on close relationships, the knee-jerk reaction tends to be a uh, traditional heterosexual relationship, a, a, a dating relationship or a marriage relationship. I'm wondering if that word relationship has different meanings or can take on new meanings across different cultures or in different cultural contexts? Definitely. And I, I think even using the word relationship uh, is, a, is a sort of an innovation uh, that, that evolved perhaps with the study of psychology and our study of interpersonal relationships, uh, whereas uh, there were a lot of taken for granted traditional approaches uh, that reflected the way that power had been created in societies in the past. And now, uh, as, as people learn about new opportunities, new places, new, new aspects of themselves even, as they allow themselves to be more flexible, the word actually seems to... to encompass any kind of encounter we have with someone that is helping helping us to to grow uh, in intimacy to that which is different than us as well as that which was unknown in ourselves uh, that um, that's kind of the way that I tend to look at relationships is that they're never really about uh, two people, but they're really about all the multiple ways in which we've been in the past and the way that other people have been. Uh, and, the, and the relationship is stronger if more of those aspects of yourself can be comfortably present with the other. Uh, and a traditional relationship usually had uh, one dimension that was stressed, and then those were those were. Uh, maintained all the time and if you if you deviated then there was something wrong with the relationship i think i think we're, we're needing to move in a direction where we start to realize that uh what um a guy by the name of kenneth gergen said that that recognize that we're all multi-phrenic instead of schizophrenic we're multi-phrenic we have a lot of different versions of ourselves uh and and when you're truly intimate with someone they're comfortable with many of those aspects of who you are I love that. You know what that makes me think of? And I, I may be misconceptualizing this. Uh, your colleague, Sarah Tracy, and her uh, conceptualization of the crystallized self, the idea that we are constantly reflecting and refracting different elements of our identity based on our surroundings and based on sometimes something as simple as our state of mind or, or our mood. Is that, is that somewhere similar to all of that? I, th I think so. Uh, I think that what what it calls for in relationship, though, because I think the crystallized self is still emphasizing self. Mm. Uh, in relationship, uh, I'm think uh, many years before I had a, I had a student who who actually did a study of Borderlands identity, uh, and and also came up with that model of a, of a 
of a crystallized borderlands identity, which means that there's many facets to our identity. And uh, in a relationship, uh, you, well, let's let's look at this. Have you, there's situations where people are talking with the friends of their partner. Mm-hmm. And when they hear the, the friends talking to the partner, they act surprised because they didn't realize their partner was that way. Right. Uh, that's that's when the facets are not being shared uh, within the intimacy of the relationship, and and I think that that it's just like with a with a stone when when you actually have a faceted stone, if you can realize that the beauty of the stone is when you move it around and you can see all those different facets. So in the many in many ways, the relationship uh, over time should become more appreciative of the gem-like quality of the person that you're with because you're you're making them fuller rather than less than oh that's very interesting i like that i i quite like that analogy um so short answer yes (laughs) Uh, (laughs) our understanding of relationships can and do differ um here's the question that i've really been wanting to ask um and i'm i'm gonna just use one example here um a lot of cultures, and, and the example that I'm going to use here is, is religion. Um, uh, where I'm from on the East Coast, it tends to uh, occur a little bit more with Orthodox Jewish families. In the area of the country that I'm currently in, it tends to occur a little bit more with LDS families. And of course, other denominations practice this as well. But there are some um, cultural pockets, such as religion, uh, in which they encourage things like uh, interfaith marriage or discourage dating outside of like the cultural nest. Um, And my question about that is, um, are there benefits to that sort of like relational hoarding where we're only allowing our community members to date in and amongst themselves. Are there benefits to that? And are there drawbacks to that? And if so, what do those look like? Well, the benefits oftentimes are cultural in the the sense that uh, by having in-group relationships emphasized, particularly as you're creating family units and and continuing the the group, you're perpetuating the culture and you create a stability. Uh, And and in that you can actually see that these practices uh, have allowed groups like the the Jewish culture to, to perpetuate itself despite the many attempts politically and historically to eliminate them. Uh, So so by focusing on these relationships and and the practices and traditions that go along with the culture, you actually can predict, you can uh, perpetuate the stability of the cultural group. Other ways uh, in family communication research, they've often uh, found in, in past research that people w- reported satisfaction when they were in these relationships of, that had similarity. Uh, and, and usually it's because there's a lot of predictability and familiarity and, and an assumption that there's going to be less conflict uh, because, they're, because they agree on, on these things. Uh, however, there's also the perspective that uh, when when we, we hear that op- opposites attract, uh, it's not just the attraction as much as the fact that when you are with somebody that is uh, different than you, you actually have uh, the possibility of 
of growing uh, beyond that which you have been in the past. And there are those who who've actually uh, some psychologists who, who did some uh, some work uh, with deep qualitative uh, sessions with couples and found that the most satisfaction was with people who were opposites. Oh. Uh, however, the fact that they were more satisfied doesn't mean it was easier. It just it means that they had the possibility to encounter things that were unexpected for them. And so they're in their relationship, they continue to grow continually. And so their satisfaction is really, really deep uh, versus a satisfaction that comes out of a comfort of not being surprised, which is which I think is what you find when people are are very similar and and predictable mm. from day to day. Yeah, that, that makes me think of uh, relational dialectics theory, the original relational dialectics mm -hmm, theory, mm -hmm. and this this strain between predictability and novelty of, you know, I want someone who's reliable and static, who I can depend on, and at the same time, I want something unique and different. I wanna, I wanna expand my horizons. And so I think uh, what really struck me about your answer is uh, th the way that you explained uh, the lack of ease and uh, painted it as a good thing, like the, the the growth necessary to be with someone who's maybe not opposite from you, but maybe someone who complements you, like somebody who offers areas of uh, experience and knowledge and depth where you simply don't. Um, and so I, I think if we limit ourselves only to exploring those people whose ideologies are identical to ours, we risk losing that that sort of important growth. Um, I don't know. What do you think? I I think I agree. I I think that sometimes the reason that we say that opposites attract uh, from some psychological views, it's that you are actually identifying in the other something that that you're perhaps still a little uncomfortable with knowing in yourself. And so you're happy to be with this other person because it, it brings that out in you. Uh, and so sometimes even in breakups, when, when someone has been very different from you, uh, part of the grief is losing that aspect of yourself that, that you had because you were with somebody that was different. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that uh, by having relationships with people who are very different from us, we we become more flexible. We become, I believe, we become possibly more able to be resilient because we see the capacity to to alter how we are in order to to survive and uh, and move on when situations change. Nice. Yeah, I like that. I think that's a really important point, and it, it, it guides us naturally into the last thing that I wanted to discuss, which is if we do find ourselves in a position where we are in a close relationship, be it romantic, sexual, or otherwise, if we're in a close relationship with somebody who was raised in a different cultural background, what might be some ways that we, the out-group member, can connect with that part of their identity Big, big important caveat here, without overstepping, without appropriating or without, you know, engaging in like the sort of elder speak that you might do um, when someone is different from you. I, it's, it's actually very simple to explain, very difficult to enact. Mm. <laughs> uh, and, and the simplicity is that generally uh, we basically just have to be sincerely interested in learning, 
Uh, and so oftentimes, uh, when we care a lot about somebody, we might feel a little insecure. And so we put too much effort into trying to perform difference, uh, which can sometimes feel offensive and uncomfortable to someone who, who can't, who feels objectified. However, having a sincere interest in learning new ways, uh, is is a way to build intimacy. And I think that the way to make ourselves better at that in our personal relationships is to try to uh, develop a, a general openness in in our lives so that the only place that we're being open-minded isn't in our relationship. Uh, there, therefore, we don't act surprised when difference arises in our, in our partners. Uh, there's also kind of like this uh, reaction. I often have students do an exercise that, that's called uh, weird, strange, or uh, WTF. <laughs> uh, and, and basically, they, they begin to notice that when they see something different, how their mind automatically will say it's rude. Uh, oh, that's rude. Oh, that's weird. Or what the, you know, when they see mm. something different. And and that's the first lesson in an intercultural class that I that I start with, which is how can we uh, slow our reaction time down so that when we hear or experience something different, rather than immediately pushing it away because of difference, we say, "I'd like to learn about that. Could you tell me more about that? Or what, you know, where did that come from?" Mm. And so having that interest and then remembering what you've learned. So that it's not uh, yeah. just a token interest, right. remembering it so that in future situations, you actually introduce elements of what you learn from your partner into your daily life. That way, it's a it's a natural growing together rather than a lot of token efforts. Oh, that's so interesting. And I, I especially like the way that you uh, qualified that by talking about how it's more than just doing this at the relational level. If you're dating someone from a different culture, it's more than just saying, I like you and I want to learn about your culture and almost like adapting the mentality of like, I find this interesting and I want to learn more about this. And I think that that promotes a level of like almost interpersonal intersectionality where you are allowing yourself to grow rather than viewing yourself as like an outsider who's just adjusting their behavior to meet the needs of this other person in your life. And so it, it, it's avoiding that othering complex that a yeah, lot of folks so your, go through. Your relationship is not a museum. Right. Uh. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that is that is absolutely right on on the on the nose. I, I don't think I could have said it any better. Um, so we have what two minutes left uh, during that time. Uh, I'm curious to see if you have an opinion on this idea of like kind of coming back to what you were talking about with like the strange, weird WTF and the whole othering complexity. How can we catch ourselves? And this is mostly like a question for white people. <laughs> how can how can we catch ourselves doing this othering when we're around people who engage in practices that we might not be familiar with? What's a step that that we can take to to work around that? Well, just a very simple thing that I that I it started with a mentoring of a student I did years ago, and basically I said, take a little notebook with you wherever you go, and 
every time that you notice yourself saying, oh, that's weird, oh, that was rude, or what the, just write it down, write down what it was, mm. and notice how many times you do it. It's really incredibly overwhelming when you realize how many times you do it in a day. But if you do that practice for just a, a number of days, your self-awareness gets heightened so much that you actually begin to withhold it. Uh, uh, it, it, I think what happens is that we're so unconscious of how easily we do that, that if you build the consciousness of it, that alone will begin to help us in our efforts to stop doing it. Mm. That's a very, that's a very active technique too. And it makes me think of, um, in, in our research methods class, we just finished going over qualitative methods. It makes me think of like the practice of doing field notes and transcription where you're, you're challenging yourself to observe yourself and, and critique yourself, which is something that a lot of people struggle with in a lot of different ways. Anyway. Well, a relationship's a good place to start. <laughs> Absolutely, 100%. So that's gonna you know, bring us uh, to the end of our time today. Dr. Sarah Amira de la Garza, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day and sharing this um, unique and informative perception uh, and perspective rather, uh, on, on relational functioning. I really appreciate it. Oh, it was, it was my pleasure. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. Absolutely. And of course we got another episode coming right on after this one, Dr. Tara Suwinyatichai porn. She's going to come on and talk about sexual confidence, but for now it's halftime. So stay tuned and we'll be right back with another awesome episode. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time. If you'd like to be on the show or have questions for us, please send us an email to redrockrelationships at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search Red Rock Relationships. Thank you again. And remember, it all begins with good communication. This has been a production from a podcast studio.